0: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: Hi, everybody. This is Brady Hoke. And if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday, you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny Ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown forecast. We're very sorry. Welcome back. Limited Upside Podcast. Team preview number 21 of 30. The Oklahoma City Thunder, and I'll tell you one person who's excited about this podcast. Ben is very excited about this one. And I am too, because... We talked to two folks who can really explain why this is the most important year in Thunder history, according to Joshua Broom. He's the editor at Welcome to Loud City, SB Nation's Thunder site. We also got our old friend Eddie Masonette from Yardbarker and the or some Fox Sports and the Sports Fan Journal. Uh, and we bring on because, look, they get Paul George. That's really awesome. The team is in a really good spot roster-wise, but both George and Westbrook are not under contract pass this year. I guess Westbrook has an option And there's a lot on the line to see if this team works. And are the personalities going to mesh? Because the team looks really awesome. But personality-wise, there's a lot going on here. And what happens if things don't go well? I mean, we could see basketball as we know in Oklahoma City really change dramatically. So I think these guys do a really good job of explaining the stakes. We run through some other more nitty-gritty stuff, like is Billy Donovan a good coach? What's going on with Steven Adams? Can Russ and Paul George fit on the court well together? Who's the closing five? It's just an all-around fascinating team. We could have talked about this team for hours and hours. To me, they're the most interesting team in the league uh, for a lot of reasons. So, We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope you've enjoyed all our team previews. This is again, number 21 of 30. You can find us as part of the Vox media podcast network. We're on iTunes under limited upside. We really appreciate all reviews, good or bad, especially if they're constructed, leave us a review on iTunes. We would love five stars, but if there's something you want us to fix around or something you want to see a little bit differently, we also want to hear that feedback too. We take that. You can also send us questions for the show at limited underscore upside on Twitter. We ask on all these episodes and all that stuff. And you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Play, all those places, and on SBNation.com. Until then, though, enjoy this Oklahoma City Thunder preview. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back, Limited Upside Podcast Team Preview Number Twenty One. And Ben was circling the calendar for this one, yes. just kind of like I was from Milwaukee. He was circling the one for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Got two great guests in the line: Joshua Broom from Welcome to Loud City, SB Nation's Thunder site, and our old friend Eddie Masonette, he writes for the Sports Fan Journal. He works for Fox Sports, big Thunder fan. Guys, this is going to be a fascinating Oklahoma City Thunder season. We have so much to talk about, but let's start with this. And I'm curious, Josh, what you would say? What's the mood of the Thunder fan base in a word right now? After everything that happened this summer, the Paul George trade, Russ's MVP, all the other stuff, uh, and like kind of the the future of the franchise sort of being really up in the air. Like, what's the mood of the fan base in one word? Would you say optimistic? Yeah,
2: definitely. Yes.
3: <laughs> so uh, that type of optimism, though, that's that's new optimism, or that's optimism that never left because Russ was able to kind of buoy, like uh, almost a bridge from the Durant era into the you know Paul George tandem. Now,
2: I believe it's a different kind of optimism. Uh, last season, there was a lot of enthusiasm mm. um, behind what Russ was able to accomplish, and I would say a lot of surprise. However, this season. The optimism is centered around uh, fielding a competitive team, which I believe many Oklahoma City fans last season did not believe would be the case with just Russ surrounded by, you know, a bunch of up-and-coming players. (laughs) That that's, a gen- very, generous, that's a very
1: yes. nice description of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I was
2: trying to choose my words carefully.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice. Up and coming. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, that's the that's sort of the weird thing about this team, this Central tension, is that last year was so much of the rush show. And this year, like, they're actually supposed to be quite good. Um, so can you bring the baby out of the bathwater, like, with – like the rush can you like rein Russ back in so that it's actually like oh you're back on a really good team now <laughs> you can't just just do the rush show like we have higher expectations i don't know eddie i feel like that's like really fascinating question that's undercutting everything that this team is going through uh,
0: i mean look man like it's fascinating to witness kind of like players it's always always been like ever since like the formation of like the big three with with Harden and Russ and and KD and now you kind of have this roster now where it's like yo can players three through 12 just keep up with players one and two right and like I feel like that's that's always gets into a semantic argument with Ah oh, well, are these players not good enough? That's like one side of the argument. And then the other side of the argument is like, well, the great teams get more out of players three, 2, 12 The San Antonio's, the Golden States, right. uh, Boston teams like that. And that's where the blame game starts to happen. Ah oh, well, Russ doesn't share the ball. Ah oh, man, Billy Donovan's a trash coach. Ah oh, man, these players aren't good enough. And it's like, bro, the NBA is really hard. And uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the Agreed. NBA is really hard. And you have Players, the and some people accuse and some people blame Presty because it's like, oh, he's kind of going Moneyball, he's going on the cheap for young players and stuff. And uh, you know, this is the life that an not only the Thunder have chose, but the Thunder fan base have been grown groomed into. And because of that, like I think we as civilized, sophisticated Thunder aficionados, if you will, <laughs> you understand kind of what the what the the lifestyle that we've chosen. And so, you know, can, can these players rise up and can Donovan continue to evolve as a coach and can can Russ evolve as a player? Those are the questions that are out there. And that's what makes it for such a fun, wild one-year ride that we're going to have uh, as Oklahoma City faithful.
3: So you mentioned one-year ride. Is that to assume that this is – the year to capitalize on having Paul George on the roster? It's is he, kind of the only is, year is, he's under contract. Is he already gone? Is, is there I mean, no every, way to
1: make this? That's what's so fascinating, right? So everybody's yeah. already kind of mentally putting him with the Lakers. Right.
3: Well, I mean, Uh-oh. mostly because Paul George verbally put himself well. on the Lakers last year. But uh, I mean, Josh, t- talk me through that a little bit. When that trade goes down, how does the mood change uh, in that short term, like when it happened? And then, Talk me through kind of your long-term projections now as, as you have, again, uh, two superstars and, and how that will play out uh, over the course of this year and beyond.
2: Okay, well, I feel like to the fan base, the again, the optimism level was definitively raised with a multiple-time All-NBA talent such as Paul George being added to the roster. It was definitely a shock. Uh, no one could foresee Oklahoma City... You know, acquiring Paul George, and when he was acquired, uh, there was a huge buzz around the hardcore fan base. And uh, in my opinion, Paul George could have a short stay with Oklahoma City. Uh, it, it may just be a one one year and done type deal. Uh, and if that's the case, then there are going to be many. Side factors, you know, mm-hmm. such as you know what happens with Russ. Uh, how does the team allot its resources moving forward, and do they go into a rebuild if Paul George and perhaps Westbrook leave after this season? But I think that having Paul George for this season is going to present Oklahoma City with a exclusive. 82-game-plus courtship right. of George. Yep. It's going to give them the inside track of perhaps re-signing him, um, re-signing him over the summer and maybe building something long-term, but that's a bit pie in the sky in my opinion. I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but it could. And I think that everyone in Oklahoma City is definitely hoping that Paul George and Russell Westbrook will remain with the team long term.
1: So, what has to happen for that to happen? Because they have the inside track in the sense that they have him and they can get him in their whatever culture and sell him. But, you know, he definitely didn't choose to go to Oklahoma City. They were making so much noise about wanting to go somewhere else. It's a no brainer move to get him because they traded nothing. I mean, I still can't believe the pace is old
2: depot and Sabonis. And
1: for Paul George, that's nothing. I'm sorry, the way uh, that
2: the rest of the trade market (laughs) shook out. (laughs) That's nothing.
3: Not like Minnesota broke the bank to get Jimmy Butler either.
1: At least they traded like number seven pick and former number five pick and guys under rookie deals. And Zach Levine is you know a promising player. Yeah, like the Thunder trade nothing. And like if it doesn't work, they just start over. But I think. Right. One of the things I'm really curious about with this whole thing is the investment level that Paul George has in actually making this work. And it's complicated, I think, by the fact that as of right now, Russell Westbrook does not have an extension. And if he doesn't, like, Oklahoma City could risk having these two great players. I mean, they're three; these three great players walk out the door if you add Durant in. And, like, man, it's interesting. Like, so this is why I'm curious. This is why we get fans like you guys on the show is, like, th- this thought that Josh was talking about that, like – you're not. You're. It seems like chances for you are less than fifty fifty that this is more than a one year thing. Is that okay? <laughs> like, like let's say it is a one year thing. Like, is that okay, or is that going to be not okay with some of their fans? Like, what are fans actually expecting this to be a long term thing?
0: Look, we are. Look, I could tell just by the base in the four people's voice in the phone that we've all seen Major League before. And if <laughs> you haven't seen Major League, we, we know <laughs> we, we know that I know I will get there. I promise. But in, 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 in Major League, you know, the threat was, is that the owner was going to get rid of the team and move the Cleveland Indians to Miami. And Jake Taylor, the captain of the of the Indians, uh, got up there and said there's only one thing to do. We got to win the whole bleeping thing, yep. and I think the entire mindset for every single person involved with Oklahoma City is like this is about to be a one-year roller coaster ride. Let's go try to win the whole bleeping thing. And look, you could you could be short-sighted to say, well, that's everybody's goal to win an NBA championship. But few pe- few teams legitimately a have the pieces, have the foundation, and uh, to and and the the future benefit to say like, no, let's go legitimately lay it all on the line. And I think that's that's what you've seen in the types of players that they tried to acquire as well and how they've structured the team because it does nothing but behoove Paul George to go lay it all on the line because, yeah, he already knows the Lakers are trying to get him, but the price of the brick goes up immediately if he goes out here yep. as he claims to push to go try to get an MVP. Russ just signed the most lucrative uh, Jordan brand deal of all time and he's now in a situation where, like, he needs to prove that he's more than just his MVP, that he could be even more valuable, so to speak, in a, in a yeah, weird way.
1: OK, it- but hold on. Hold on. <laughs> that to me, like all this says that they have less incentive to prove it. Right. So Paul George can still walk theoretically can still walk to the Lakers. And unless he suffers another catastrophic injury, he's getting a max contract. Right. The stakes for him. And then Russell Westbrook is rich regardless. And he has his MVP. Right. right? short of like them winning a title and which is the goal of everyone. I feel the big worry I have is I really like the team as it's constructed. Like it's a really good roster and it's like a fun roster. They're doing some different things and but where's the where is the incentive for both of those guys to change who they are in a way that will actually help them work together and work with everybody else. That's what I worry about is like there's nothing there's no investment tying those people to, like, so Russ is coming off this year where they they really let him do what he wanted to do, and he had this incredible professional success and financial success, and, you know, they probably needed to do it that way. But, like, now, renting that back in a little bit to, like, accommodate George, like, I don't know. It's not going to be so easy. It, it, it might be good for the team and, and
3: for Russ's psyche to have that triple-double off his back. Like, people had an I expectation it that it that that was that a possibility, way. and we got to see that it came to fruition. And now he could focus on and, – and with that, they got as far as that could take them, which was the first-round exit. So, like, I think Russ has a better idea of what the end goal here is. It's not to have another triple-double. It, it's sort of what Eddie said there. Like, where is that, that apex where they're both at their best ability, which ultimately also makes guys like Jeremy Grant or Cantor – Uh, If McDermott plays, you know, uh, Alex Abrinas, Abrinas, uh, Ferguson, the rookie, like all these guys, uh, all these tertiary players, the complementary parts that, again, I think, Eddie, mentioned like the the Spurs would max out and get the most out of. That now becomes almost as much of a part of the box score for a Russ as the rebounds were last year or the assists were last year. Well, it should be. Well, you think so, right? But I think that's the whole idea here, that this is a one-year, let's see how this looks, and they got to go as far. I like the rest, you know, the, uh, the Major League Baseball analogy there, and I hope they do the same thing with the uh, naked owner with the stickers they pull out. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I want to see. I'm not sure I
1: want to see Aubrey McClendon. Oh, no, not him. Because who was the one that? Rest just, in peace. Yeah, who was the one that? Yeah, he was the one that just Clay one, Bennett. Clay Bennett. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'm not sure I want to see Clay Bennett. Maybe it's like. putting clothes back on, but, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but with
3: that in mind, like it feels like, and again, and there's there's some kind of. A gravity that comes with being the face of Jordan Brand, like there's a responsibility here that I believe Russ will understand and ultimately does, which is winning trumps everything. He got to see the success of the franchise at the highest of highs and losing, uh, you know, in losing in the NBA Finals, so as close as you can get to having the most successful in, you know individual season in decades by yeah, the I box guess- score numbers. So I feel like he has had a taste of it, and I think it should be clear you know, which flavor he prefers.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, he has maybe the fact that he's accomplished a lot of other things will make him want to do more. Now, on the court, um, like how – Joshua, how do you think these guys are going to work together? Like Hmm. both in terms of like how their games mesh but also how their personalities mesh because that's obviously the ultimate question.
2: I think as of now, uh, a consensus is forming that Westbrook will be the alpha of the team and – Paul George will obviously <laughs> play off of Russ this season, and I think stylistically their games uh, are a good compliment. Um, just based on the fact that, you know, Russ is ball dominant and he draws a lot of gravity to him, and Paul George is a guy who can do some things off the ball and be effective and efficient and... um. He'll definitely be a perfect release valve for Russ when Russ is seeing double teams and at times triple teams. You know, Russ could swing the ball to George and George can, you know, produce his offense uh, in a variety of ways. And I think that Russ and George are really going to be a um, formidable tandem in this upcoming season. So I don't think there's any worries with that dynamic. That was Mike's, uh,
1: that was
3: yes, Mike's um, phone going off there. Was that the NBC sports theme song? Well, was that- <laughs> of course,
2: man. hold <laughs>
3: <laughs> on. <laughs> 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 That's okay. I'm going to take this from here. Okay, so with that in mind, guys, um, <laughs> no, with the way they play off of each other, I guess my my question here is, and we were talking about this last night with our Memphis guys, there's a faith in that team that revolves solely around having Marc Gasol and and uh, Mike Connolly. That just having two of the you know I don't know thirty best players, two of the twenty five best players in the NBA, is enough to say that hey we should be in the playoffs. Now obviously Russ and Paul George are are even better. Um, they are even higher up in the hierarchy of the NBA best players. But I'm trying to think on an, on an individual basis here. Like what and Eddie, you talked me through this. What part of Paul George's game? is Russ going to help make better and vice versa? Like, where are we going to see the next steps in each of their maturations here through the lens of working with each other?
0: The, the most obvious thing to me is that just life gets a lot easier for Paul George. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can look back at all the game film from, uh, from Kevin Durant. Look, that's, that's the obvious comparable is what, how did Kevin Durant look? And then jamming, uh, uh, Paul George into that scenario, and then envisioning, okay, well, this is potentially what it could look like. Um, and to say that Paul George is a poor man's Kevin Durant is kind of like a kind of a shot, but also it's very fair. Yeah. Um, so you know, because look, man, we've seen Indiana, and even when Indiana was at its best, even when Indiana was at its best with George Hill and Dave Grader and Hibbert and <laughs> David West, they still never really had a dude that really was, like, I can draw attention to Josh's point. I can be a magnet. Mm-hmm. And so, look, right. there's going to be times where we get to actually see Paul George wide open for three. Like, we didn't see that and, and except for when he was on Team USA. Um, so th- there's going to be some obvious opportunities there. Obviously, too, you're going to see Paul George being able to run a unit, which is going to benefit Russ. Yeah. Um, I oh, yeah. actually think the other thing is is that Russ eh, – the, the interesting thing I've always felt about the dynamic between Russ and KD is that say what you want and you can you can take this from different reporting or whatever. But KD, in many ways, tried to elevate himself to to the attitude of where Russ was. Um, and and I feel like Russ as Josh so eloquently put it, it like in that laugh, there was never going to be any question who the alpha dog was going to be on Oklahoma City. But I think Paul George now gets the opportunity to say, OK, I'm going to follow this alpha dog. There's few alphas like Russell Westbrook and I think you might see a different type of attitude that comes from Paul and it might not be anything that's going to be bombastic I mean who knows maybe he'll start dressing like Russell Westbrook that could be an interesting <laughs> thing I doubt that doesn't actually. he
1: kind of already dress a little bit like him he's pretty fashionable too maybe not quite as They're Los Angeles guys they're, like, they're,
0: just, they're LA dudes yeah. man and I live in LA and these LA dudes are quirky bro and like I love it <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I have started to live in LA and all of a sudden my one button out is now starting to be two buttons down and three and my chest hair is out and stuff really? so you know that there's a certain lifestyle that that you kind of assimilate to I'm, t- I'm talking too much i apologize but my no, point no, no, is no, no, no. now
1: i'm like got this mental image in my head <laughs> hey you look man a husky brother with his
0: beard out and the chest hair out it's a good vision i promise but <laughs> i digress um i think that what will happen with paul george and i'd even like to get josh uh joshua's opinion on it too is like i think that there's gonna be so many Uh, points where Paul's natural skill set will just plug into the deficiencies of Russ and Oklahoma City. Doesn't mean he'll be able to do everything But he's going to cover up so many things just like Kevin Durant did. It may be in some ways better because he is such a defensively dynamic player and has the ability to stretch this floor just like KD did that things are not only going to get easier for Russ, but it's going to get easier for Adams. And I'd love to talk about Adams at some point. It's going to get easier for Patterson, and it's going to get easier for all those other role players on the team as well just by the attention that Paul also draws.
3: I also look at the roster right now and I think that this is a better constructed, more versatile you know, roster than they ever had when they even when they went to the finals with, with Durant. I mean, I guess it's difficult to say because Harden uh, was sort of an X factor as a, as a player on that team. But they have a type of team now that can switch on everything, that could, in theory, present a matchup issue to Golden State, that should be able to be more athletic uh, than the Spurs. So I start to think down the road, I'm like, well, they, they are positioned now. Obviously injuries aside, to to really compete and not just be there but be in the conversation to winning the
1: West, and which in which case to win in the NBA championship. This is why I'm so fascinated by this team because if you just look at the basketball of it, it's like what all you said, like it's kind of a really good mix. Yeah. Like if they like Paul George did too much in Indiana. Like now he doesn't have to do as much. Russell Westbrook had to do so much. Now he's got a dude to rely on. Yeah. Now you have a guy who can you can play because last year they were so terrible when Russell wasn't on the floor. Like now you have a guy who can carry those units, and now you've got this interesting switchy like kind of versatile team. The problem always comes back to me is like personality wise. That's where I wonder, like because there is no reason why this shouldn't work if you just took how they played. Mm-hmm. The question to me is still. Are you gonna? There's three questions: Like, can Russ accommodate other people um, in a way where he has to? Uh, will George be invested? Will they be invested in making this relationship work with each other? Will they be invested in making it work for each other in Oklahoma City? And you know, how does that all get managed? Like, it's a really good example of a team that, like, on paper looks one way, and then it just will depend on stuff that we don't really know that well, which is how they will mesh. Yeah, because like, if that group of people doesn't work. I Maybe mean, this team struggles. It will not be because of the roster and how it is built. It, it cannot be yeah. like that. Is a good roster. Maybe it's got a little not quite enough shooting, but it's deep. It's versatile. It's athletic. They've got two stars. And even within the shooting, like Paul George is a good shooter. Right. This I mean, like, they don't have a lot. Out, they need yes, more outside of yes, him. But yeah, yes. I mean, they, they're deep. They're athletic. They made a great signing with Pat Patterson. Yep. They've got a real backup point guard now, hopefully, <laughs> and Ray Felton. Well, yeah. You know. That's a really good roster. It's just you know if the if those guys aren't on the same page, I mean that's that's really what it and comes down. They got
3: rid to. of Oladipo. That's that's the biggest plus you can have. Wow, uh, that's I'm so. Sorry. Mean. I, I find a way to hate on that guy, <laughs> that's but i I'm, so I'm, I'm still batting a thousand on that one. Um,
1: Wow. I mean, are you? You're kind of batting like no, 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 like 400. No, we'll, like he's still we'll an NBA special, player. We'll do
3: a special. <laughs> I guess. I guess when he's out of the league, we'll do a special podcast. When he's playing for the Memphis Hustle. Sorry, that's a reference wow. to last night's podcast. Wow. That's a great name. Um wow. that's so mean. I know. Okay, wait. Well,
0: let me, go let, ahead. Let me let me say one. Let me just say one quick thing. here, And I think this has always been my issue with the roster when KD was there. Then you even saw it a lot last year. It's like I always felt like the the Thunder's roster was a tool set and like you had a lot of guys that did one thing really Mm -hmm. well but weren't really dynamic players um i look at players like roberson i looked at players like Canner. i looked at players like morrow i looked at players like mcdermott i looked at i looked at those guys and they always concerned me because they they had a real inability to play versatile basketball and if you know anything about the nba in the in the year of our lord 2017 right now is it is all about playing versatile basketball and like oklahoma city even with russ and kd there like it was two dudes trying to lift up the rest of a team that had a lot of deficiencies and so I see players like Patterson now on the roster, and I see players, and I don't think Patterson is going to be this fix-all, everything, uh, but my biggest concern with the roster is still, in some ways, Cantor and Rob- Robertson, and I love both of those players, uh, but they become really hard to play when you start thinking about the playoffs. And It, it became a real issue in, in the hit series against Houston, where what am I going to do with arguably the best wing defender in the league? I can't play him. And I can't play, Can- I can't trust Cantor for longer than five minutes at a time. And, like, those are real issues. And I, I think some of that kind of goes to Presty, and some of it goes to Donovan, and it goes to those players for their inability to really evolve. And so, ultimately, that's that's always been my biggest fear with the roster. And I don't care how good Paul George or Russell Westbrook may be, like, if you have those, those glaring issues, like, I, I, I just, it, it becomes a real worry as far as I'm concerned.
2: Just looking at the, the starting five, I believe the starting five does have enough outside shooting to sustain itself with Pat Patterson, who is um, a noted three D power forward. And with Russ and Paul George in the lineup, uh, that's going to stretch the floor out and open some lanes. And I believe that Steven Adams is going to be a beneficiary of that. Now, The starting five is going to be constructed around two way uh, sustainability as far as offensive versatility and defensive grit. When you get to the bench, there's going to be some shooting, especially with the Breenas, McDermott, and guys like that, you know, in that mold. But there's going to be a huge defensive drop off between first and second units. So there's going to have to be some staggered minutes between these guys. Right. And, uh, that is uh, just kind of what I wanted to chime in with my opinion. I, I, no,
1: no, no. I mean, like, that was sort of what this question was going to jump at. Courtney Kennedy asked, like, what's their – not their starting five, but their closing five. Like, what is Oklahoma City's best lineup to address both ends of the floor, you think? Uh, which five
2: players, Josh? I'm going to have to um, hedge my statement by assuming <laughs> that Alex Sabrinas is taking a step forward – Right. defensively this season because last season you know he he, he showed some toughness but he was kind of pushed around and he didn't really show me much in a one-on-one capacity defensively but i'm gonna have to replace abrinus and i mean not abrinus but uh i'm gonna have to replace andre roberson with abrinus in tight games and uh, my closing five is russ Alex Brinas, because of his floor spacing capabilities and his ability to, to do a little bit off the dribble and to create a little bit. Um, Patrick Patterson at the four, uh, Stephen Adams at the five, and of course Paul George at three.
1: Eddie, do you agree with that? Do you think that'll be the start of the closing five? It's a no Robertson?
0: Well, I, I think I think Donovan is stubborn and he will probably end up playing Adams at the five. I think they have the better opportunity to maybe move Adams off the off the start in the final five. Oh, and wow. I, put, I, oh, think wow. About, I think about somebody like Jeremy Grant. And I just say, like, look, man, go out there with athleticism and wings and and, and figure it out that way. Because I, I think if you ask me to make a sacrifice between Adams and Roberson, and look, we're talking about this Oklahoma City team playing against the Golden State. Cleveland I mean let's not even go that far out to the west let's just say Golden State in Houston and, and and maybe San Antonio I think if you're playing San Antonio I think you have to have I think Adams sticks there but if we're talking we're, we're talking about Golden State let's not beat around the bush we're talking about Golden State here I think you need to have I think you need to have somebody like Jeremy Grant in there who's uh, an average three-point shooter he's six nine he's clearly is he for whatever average? reason well I, mean, I know he shot well is last
1: he- year but like I mean he- is that gonna hold up
0: I don't know, and and look, and again, this is where you start talking about the deficiencies of the roster. I think it becomes really hard to play Adams against a, a death lineup against Golden State, and so you can either try to match the death lineup, which I think Oklahoma City can do a fantastic job of coming as close as anybody to matching a death lineup, or you go out there with Adams and you say, okay, you have to dominate as a rebounder and as a defensive. Um, presence um, because, like, we just don't trust Adams to be an offensive guy in that way. Um, uh, and maybe that changes. And I know we're going to still get to that as far as Adams, but I think. The thing about Paul George being on the court is that when you have pick-and-roll situations, what we saw last year is we saw Adams decline with his offensive production because he couldn't catch as many lobs because now the defender's hedging on Adams in those situations and um, putting and they're squeezing Russ on on the drive. So um, if Paul George is on the court, maybe that opens up Adams more. But for me, I look at it like a video game. I want athleticism. I want as many dudes out there that can shoot. And you're basically putting Robertson to be your powerful, Forward near the rim, rim runner guy, like they did two years ago in the Western Conference Finals. So I would put I would put Grant in there in the starting lineup, and and, and, not in the starting line, the closing lineup, and say, look, we can defend with anybody. We have enough shooting out there, and we've got two of the ten best players in the world. We'll figure it out from there.
3: Seems like a recipe. I mean, I'm a Jeremy Grant fan. Um, That's your like the biggest Jeremy Grant. I've always been uh, on the on the line of thought that with a few tweaks and obviously a slightly more consistent maybe corner three, he could be a really dangerous player. He's not afraid to go up you know, physically against anybody, and I think he'll probably complement Paul George pretty well because despite being similar in size, he's a very different type of game. Um, so I'm excited to see if Jeremy Grant takes the next step. Um, I guess the question I kind of wanted to get to before we even got too deep into the roster complexion and sort of how you guys seeing this play out is, and we should just talk about it so we can move fully on from last season, but, you know, what Russ did last year was an incredible emotional roller coaster, probably for the fan base, probably for him personally, probably for uh, uh, the Oklahoma City's future franchise. When you have a guy who puts up numbers like that, it's hard not to say that that's a guy who deserves every max extension we could possibly throw at him with that still being unresolved there's probably a little bit of trepidation there but if you guys could could you know really put yourself as much as possible in last year's shoes um you know talk me through what it felt like to watch a basically a singular supernova go off for something that we had speculated might be possible but that none of our eyes had actually seen i'm only 31 years old i i don't remember oscar robertson's triple double season and i'm pretty sure the (laughs) nba is a little bit different now so Kind of, if you can give me that last uh, you know a little bit of light there on on last year's performance by Russ, and and then ultimately like, um, would you? And this is the hypothetical. Mike likes to do these hypotheticals where we make fan bases choose between like their mother or their father. Um, so <laughs> but the question the question would be here, and and again, uh, Joshua, you could you could take us through this first. But you know, would you rather see Russ repeat as MVP, but they lose in the first round, or Russ not repeat? Uh, and they you know make it to I don't know second third whatever it is they go further they have a more successful team season than last year is it but they
1: ultimately still but they're all- not competitive with the Warriors
3: okay if that's how you want to end that a because one. if
1: they if they can beat the Warriors obviously you'd rather take sure, the winning sure. I think okay. what we're trying to value is like how much like how much like intrinsic joy does like watching Westbrook do what he did even yeah. if it maybe caught even if they're not quite as good as maybe the whole sum could be. Like, what's the marginal difference there, I guess, is sort of what I'm kind of trying to figure out.
2: Okay. Well, kind of to track back to what Eddie said earlier about, and this is just just paraphrasing, um, you know, Oklahoma City is going to have to go all out this season. I mean, um, I would rather see Russ and his numbers. uh, I would like to see his efficiency, you know, uh, Increase, but maybe his numbers decline to the point where he was at with Kevin Durant and sacrifice a little bit of his numbers so that Oklahoma City can uh, compete with the upper echelon teams. Because I believe that this is the most pivotal season in franchise history.
1: I agree. I 100% agree.
2: You know, I believe that with Paul George – Hang the balance. Russ's hang in the balance. Their contracts, you know, on the line. I feel like they're going to have to do something um, drastic as far as competitive success to keep this thing together and to make it more than a one and done scenario. So definitely, I would like to see Russ's focus shift from you know going out and going chasing triple doubles to trying to win ball games and uh, trying to get into the postseason and trying to make a run to the conference finals and uh, towards respect building in the conference finals so that maybe Paul George sticks around for you know three or four more seasons and uh, the team can build around that
1: so the question I think is – what's interesting is that what's sort of the point at which – like we don't – what is the threshold for keeping Paul George around? Because obviously if Russ sacrifices and Paul George stays, I or think is that's – there even a threshold? Is, right, and maybe it doesn't yeah, exist. Yeah. So that's sort of – like if they get to the second round, is that enough of a – does that like enough of a sacrifice to keep the long-term future of the franchise stable? Is it – do they have to get to the conference finals? Does it have nothing to do with winning at all? Um To keep them around, it'd have to do with something else, you know. So that's sort of why, like, there was something thrilling about watching Russ do what he did. What he did, even I mean, it was almost like it didn't even matter how good the team was last year. Maybe I'm wrong, and it was actually that important. But like, realistically, like, I mean, they won 47 games. They lost in the first round. Like, it was more fun to watch Russ win the MVP than to. You kind of knew from the jump that that team wasn't competing for anything substantial, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like that. Look, man, people from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City fans needed their egos stroked, yep, and they needed a confidence boost. And they look, as someone who lived in Oakland, California, and was you're surrounded one of those. That's right, you're one of those out,
1: folks. Yeah, I,
0: <laughs> I was one of those folks who was born and raised from Oklahoma. Uh, a thunder representative the only person people know from oklahoma let me just tell you something right now it is so great to hear joshua's rustic oklahoma baritone voice on his phone <laughs> like i feel like i'm back home a lot in oklahoma it's and like being around thunder uh warriors fans and they're all checking this if i'm on suicide alert because we got kd and y'all don't got kd no more especially after everything that transpired before it like having the ability to puff your chest out and say and see what Russ did last season was great. I think for everybody, including the uh, basketball fans in general, because oh, it was great for me. Became, I love yeah, the it. Oh, I oh, mean, SB nation's clicks were, were great because of Russell oh, yeah. Westbrook. Right. Hell, yeah. You know? And, and so, and I say all that to say about next season is that I think, of course, like you, would you would take franchise success over the individual success. Um, and I think for Paul George, it, we, we're going to learn a lot about him because I don't think there's anything wrong with him saying I want to go home and play, for the lo- play in Los Angeles and he's pretty much put that out there forever um, but the Lakers are also on prove it mode um, as well and I think what we've seen uh, it, with the Kyrie Irving shenanigans what we've seen with LeBron in the past what we've seen with Kevin Durant is that players are as smart as ever and as much as it matters about where they play it's also about how they play and if paul george like everybody says falls in love with the organization and falls in love with playing there and has fun doing what he's doing then like yeah of course like that could that could work out well in okc's favor um but i want to say this one thing i am also totally resigned to the point that like joshua said that this is a make or break year because if it breaks and i don't care if they go to the western conference finals go seven games against the warriors lose there's a real possibility that it all ends and I'm okay with that. If for no other reason in, then that's how Oklahoma city was built in the first place, being at the absolute bottom and starting and building it back up. Now, of course mm-hmm. that sucks, but that's also the reality of what the franchise is. And I think if you, if you understand that going in, then I think it at least tempers your expectations moving forward.
3: Yeah. And, and like 20 years from now, maybe even sooner, 15 years, whatever, like There will be a 30-for-30 30 30 on Oklahoma City one way or another. <laughs> it just depends on the angle and the arc of that story right. because it, it is a fascinating thing, the relocation, the instant stardom of, of three very young, dynamic, and ultimately generational players simultaneously, not even including Ibaka, who's one of the better role players of, of the last 10 years as well. Um, paid like a superstar obviously that's part of the story here but like the idea here though that this is the most important year and that this is a franchise that's been to the finals that lost in a game seven of the western conference finals but that this year with all the uncertainty just contractually uh, where both these players sit and then ultimately you know billy donovan's got to show that he's got the chops to be uh, a, right. leader, a leader of a franchise as well, because some a lot of this, we haven't really talked that much, but how much how much of this guy's, you know, your confidence in the team is related to your confidence uh, in Billy Donovan? Uh, I mean, obviously, Presty's a, a guy who's kind of already shown that he has the chops to be a general manager in this league, but Donovan seems like the bigger question mark. So, I mean, how much does, Josh, how much does he come up, you know, uh, on the site? Uh, how much, you know, is, is Welcome to Loud City talking about Billy Donovan as a make-or-break season as well?
2: Billy Donovan is one of the hot topics on the <laughs> board at Welcome to Loud City, and usually the fans' response hasn't been exactly overwhelming in Donovan's favor. Uh, a lot of the fans and a lot of the people who you know follow the team religiously feel that Donovan does not manage the team. The way they would like. They feel that he doesn't have the sophistication as an NBA head coach at this point to take a team like Oklahoma City and maximize its potential. Though one could argue that under Donovan, Westbrook certainly maximized his potential last season. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, just as a general consensus, Um, At Loud City, many people feel that Donovan is a bit in over his head at this point. Uh, I feel that this is going to be a true, you know, make-or-break season for Donovan, and he's going to have to prove himself, and it'll be his, what, third season as an NBA head coach? Yep. And uh, he had great success in college, but, you know... He's had talented rosters in the NBA, incomplete rosters. Yeah.
1: What what is it that he
2: has? Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that this season, he's going to have to find a way to take the ingredients that Oklahoma City has on its roster and make it all work, and he's going to have to make it all work um, under a microscope, and uh, it's going to be a pressure cooker for him.
1: What does he actually have to do better? Like what? What? What exactly do you have to see this year? Where you say, you know, what I think fans would feel much more confident in the way he manages the team. Is it player rotations? Is it sort of style of play? Like I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Like what he actually, if this is the pressure cooker for him, like what exactly does he need to do to, to inspire more confidence this year? Like what's an outcome where you feel like, oh, okay, we have a good coach now, and I feel 100% confident in that.
2: I feel that. To answer that question, uh, Donovan's going to have to refigure the way he manages his lineups.
1: Lineups, okay. Um,
2: Yes, because uh, as editor at WTLC and a guy who probably recapped uh, four-fifths of the regular season playoff games last season, (laughs) um, you know, the comments on the board again uh, all went back to how donovan mismanaged the lineups so that's something he's mm-hmm. going to have to improve in the fan size moving forward this season
3: and i wonder eddie like i want you to chime in here too like it feels like this guy is now on his going into his third season but with three very you, you know distinct seasons there's the kevin durant year there's the westbrook by himself year and now there's the paul george year so it feels like he hasn't necessarily had uh you know stable footing if you will to kind of figure out how mm-hmm. he you know what his ethos is as a head coach um, but ultimately like hey that's part of the game this is professional sports this is not college you are not recruiting a pipeline of players you do not know who you're redshirting and who you're going to get the next season etc so like is it fair to say this is make or break or you know or, or are we are we shortchanging the guy who's been through a lot of uh, organizational upheaval just in his short time
0: yeah, uh, I, it's, a, it's a fairly daunting task what they've asked Billy Donovan to step into. And, you know, I think as much as the conversation is about Donovan, I always feel like it's really more about Presti and in some ways Bennett. Um, because, um, you know, I, everybody likes to use the phrase money ball and, and, and the way that organizations are built. But like I said, Oklahoma City's franchise was built on the belief of we're going to get young players and we're going to try to mold them into superstars and to maximize who they are so that we can field a competitive team. And they've also, in my opinion, done that with their head coaches. They've. This is the second coach that they brought in under Presty's leadership that was a virtual either. Uh, in, in Brooks, he was a deserving assistant, um, but he was really unproven um, at that point. And I think Brooks probably is very underappreciated for what he did. And I think Donovan, um, you know, coming from college ranks into this type of pressure situation is a lot to ask. And I, and reading some of the books from, you know, reading everything from um, David Halberstam to even Simmons book and hearing the conversations you hear from leadership and the need to sacrifice and to win and things like that. And, and I've always felt like, I don't know if they put the type of resources to really get a team ready to win and some of that goes back to, well, um, you know, because if, if I, I always looked at it like, OK, if I could get a perfect coach to come in here and coach Oklahoma City, well, who would it be? And I always looked at somebody like Carlisle, right, from Dallas, and so someone who understands defensive uh, philosophies, someone who understands how to get the most out of personnel, but then also knows how to maximize their offensive talent. and. And it felt like Donovan and Presty have been more about the developing of young talent versus co- uh, concocting something that is let's go win a bleeping championship. And that's I think always been problematic to me. And, and and some of that I think then ends up going to ownership because the ownership has to to make those decisions and 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 back uh, financially back and also publicly state what their intentions are. And like, I look at what Miami does with Mickey Arison and he gets out the way, but he, it's, it's a known quantity of what they're trying to pursue. So, um, you know, Donovan can do everything he can with a he could develop Terrence Ferguson, you know, he could continue to work on trying to make Ennis Cantor playable on defense. But the reality is, is I Have never been confident that Donovan was necessarily the best coach for the job, and so then there's always been that conversation of,
1: Is they didn't Russ interview and anyone else, right?
0: Like, they he, didn't interview anybody it just else, was yes,
1: like, yeah. You just kind of got the job all like that,
0: yeah. It, and that's always been fascinating to me, and to me, that's I think the reason why KD's been what KD in particular was attracted to say, Let me look elsewhere because this is good here, but I could go find better right if you're not trying to make the organization as a whole better and elite like it's no excuse because we all give Sam Presti all this credit for being this golden child and this genius and I do think Presti is really good but he ain't perfect and I think that that's where You, I worry a little bit about trying to get through that championship window, a window that's probably already closed and you're trying to sustain it. Because OKC isn't in the sustainability game when it comes to, oh, we can get another free agent or we have oodles and noodles of money or we can get people attracted to Oklahoma City. They're grassroots. And once you have it grassroots, then you need a closer. And I never felt like Donovan was the closer. And I don't know what coach it is that is the closer to maybe get them over the hump.
1: We've talked a lot about the bigger picture in a really interesting way. Before we get into some of our more fun questions, we have one that we ask everybody uh, to think about. Real quick, I know, Eddie, you wanted to talk about Stephen Adams, so please talk about Stephen Adams and let's get that that conversation going. What did you want to talk about with Stephen Adams?
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I I think that we have wildly varying opinions on Stephen Adams. Who's we? I I talked – well – the Thunder fan base, experts, you guys, right? Um, and, uh, so, in my 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 personal opinion is, I think Adams is a top ten, maybe even a, a top ten caliber center. I think he's someone who I say I would rather have someone like him over even somebody like DeAndre oh. Jordan because I can actually play him I can play him and I don't have to take him off the court and I, D, DJ is a dynamic defensive player and Adams can be um, at a high level as well but this is just about preference and it's interesting to see what DJ will look like without Chris Paul um, and and those issues with spacing and I come back to those things in regards to spacing and so I'm curious to see what Paul George's impact will be on Stephen Adams because people will say oh man he should be a Ten and ten player. I think he should be. He has the capability of being a ten and ten player, but those numbers really don't mean anything into the context of the performance of the team. And um, he, at once, is a tremendous asset for the Thunder. And then on another the hand, I'm like, yo, we just gave that dude twenty five million, and like a twenty five million dollar player has to be something that's more than just thirty minutes a game, so eight eight and eight and, you know, still there are times where you don't feel 100% confident in playing him in important situations. And so he's confounding to me in some ways, and I'm just interested to see how he's going to evolve with now Paul George out there on the wing for additional support uh, from a defensive and offensive standpoint.
2: Josh, does that all make sense to you? Well, oh, it makes perfect sense. And circling back to Stephen Adams' production in Contrast to his contract, I feel that, you know, Eddie was right on the money when he mentioned that Adams, you know, needs to step up his game to justify his contract. Um, You know, Adams has been a a bit of a mixed bag for me. Um, In the 15-16 playoffs, of course, when – Durant was still in Oklahoma City. Uh, Adams was looking like a potential star in the making. And some of that momentum carried over to the first, I would say, half of last season. Uh, Adams did drop off uh, considerably after the All-Star break. Some attribute that to hand injuries, recurring hand injuries. Um but the fact of the matter is Steven Adams did decline in the second half of the season and into the playoffs. He was nearly unplayable against the Houston Rockets uh, due to his lackluster pick-and-roll defense, which was actually a strong suit of his when Durant and the Thunder made their spectacular and unexpected run to a uh, seven games series with Golden State 2016 so just looking at Adams uh, he has a potential to really uplift this thunder unit and to um, come into his own personally but you know there's still a lot of question marks surrounding him and I'd like to see him step forward this season and reclaim some of his defensive, Functionality,
1: yeah. Defensively, it should because I would say that, like Eddie said, spacing was an issue last year. Suddenly, all those pick and rolls that were dunks are now like hook shots in the lane. So you can understand why his offense suffered, but defensively, that was that's a little more surprising. It shouldn't be tied to the changing conditions of the team. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. To see how he develops. And, you know, he's one of those centers that you just like, what's the game going to be like for him in a few years? So that's fascinating. Um, before we get to predictions, we asked this to everybody on the show. Uh, so we're going to ask you guys to, you, uh, are on your own banana boat, a la Chris Paul, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, <laughs> uh, LeBron James, or I guess I forget which one of them was taking the picture. It's you, and you get to pick three other players from Thunder history to join you on the boat. And you can pick these people based on, you know, the most recognizable, or who would you just kind of want to hang out with on a boat, you know, in Thunder history. So, Josh, who are your three banana boat companions?
2: This might sound a little bit simplistic, but I'm going to have to go with the trio of Russell Westbrook, and Stephen Adams and Enos Cantor, the oh, yes. Stash Brothers, <laughs> I believe they they would be great company.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to have Ennis Cantor on the boat, right, Eddie? Uh, yeah. I mean he's he's been comical, he's been
0: awesome, and he's bewildering, and so yeah, he's all those things. Um, have we had a chance to talk about Ennis Cantor's summer yet? By the way, I know that I've mentioned that on Twitter. Yeah. But... So
1: what what do you, what exactly we are you, are you talking about with um the serious stuff or the with Turkey, or are you talking about some of the sillier stuff?
0: I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about Ennis Caner being this social justice warrior, which has been an incredible thing to witness. I've been, I'm talking about his willingness to take shots at everybody via social media and then just in media interviews. I'm talking about Ennis Canner being a part one of the most legendary pickup basketball hoop sessions in New York City with Hoodie Mello and LeBron <laughs> and KD and... Ru- and, and Le- I, OK, I almost said it. But like, yeah, I mean, Russ basically said, don't be taking pictures with KD when you're out here hooping. And then Russ is there hooping and like uh, Ennis Canner's out here just getting this additional work. I mean, the dude's been... Everywhere, and of course, now then the recent report is that oh man, you know, I got fat, I needed to wear a bra, I had to get down and chiseled into shape and everything. And I'm just like, yo, I didn't no say idea. that really. Oh, yeah, he said he got full off of Turkish food, all that Turkish food, and that he was getting heavy. He said he felt like he might need to put on a bra, so then he's been getting in extreme shape, um, and everything, <laughs> the, the which who knows what <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, so you know, he's just been really like out here all over the place, and um. I just find him to be still really fascinating because he's still really young. Um, He's so offensively talented. Um, I would encourage anybody here listening. To go look up his interview with Desus and Miro on Weissman. And um, it was a tremendous 20 minute interview just talking about his relationship with Turkey and his family. And then, of course, his relationship with KD and Russ and everything. It's just really good. And so I'm just intrigued to see what he's going to do this season. I think he's always been the X Factor, but now he's X Factor in his contract year. And everybody that's been talking about Clay C is like, maybe they should trade Canner. I know I've said that they should trade Canner. Someone's
1: got to want him for you to trade him. I understand
0: that, and that's all. That's a bit of a conundrum. But if 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 any trade can at the same time, and Mike, you know this better than anybody, especially the conversations you have um, online, is that trades can kind of emerge and happen out of nowhere. And you know, especially for a team that needs an offensively skilled big. Um that can get his own shot. Like there's there might be a market for it. I, I don't necessarily think that don't they think should trade <laughs> him. Um I don't necessarily think they should trade him, but at the same time, I just have found that his summers have been
1: really fascinating. All right, so is he on your boat? Uh he is not on my boat
0: because uh well, okay. The obvious choice for me is is Russ KD and Harden. And
1: yeah, that's I could true. I my, yeah, I guess you could just go with those three.
0: Yeah, but then I also am like selfish and I'm like. Can I get Eric Maynard? And I just want to talk to Eric Maynard, and this has nothing to do with the Thunder. I just want to talk to Eric Maynard about him hitting that, that game-winning shot against Duke um, when he was at VCU because it's was one of the greatest moments of my life because I don't like Duke, so that was great. <laughs> um, I want to talk to Kendrick Perkins because Kendrick Perkins is like the weird like mentor of all those guys, and he seems to like have an honest pulse. On everything that's happened with that, those guys and, and the players. So I find him to be fascinating. So I'm going to give you, I'll give you three. I will say Eric Maynard, give me Kendrick Perkins, and I'll take um, Ennis Caner for the joke. So there's my, okay. there's my three.
1: So no, your one approach is that you take all three of the big three great players of the franchise and you let them loose. And the other approach is to just like take three other people and gossip about those three. Exactly. I want
0: stories. I want all this I want all the tea spilled. I need to hear I want all the juiciness and like yeah. let's
1: let's take it for one. See, that's I think that's the approach too. Um all right, let's get let's put our money where our mouth is. So we have said, Josh has said, and I think correctly, that this is the most important year in Thunder history. And one of the things I really like about this show is that we have framed a lot of people like kind of look at what teams do only in the context of competing with the Warriors, but you see with Oklahoma City in particular that there's so many local concerns. Like this isn't one thing you guys didn't mention about whether this year would be success or not. I was like, well, they got to win the title. I mean, you did, but the real thing is like we got to convince Paul George to stick around so that our franchise stays uh, good and relevant, and that's sort of a a factor, a sort of incentive that I think is often lost in NBA discussions. Like this is important not just because. Of they need to win the title or blow it up, it's that there's a larger Oklahoma City basketball is a lot at stake here. I think is sort of what, in a lot of ways, you guys have been saying. So with all that in mind, um, what I assume the best case scenario is that they they probably go to the conference finals and then George stays. But like what's what's like a realistic sort of outcome that you think would keep Paul George in Oklahoma City uh, beyond this year?
2: Well, obviously, as I said earlier, and as Paul George stated to Lee Jenkins during an interview uh, shortly after being acquired by the Thunder, it would probably, he, Paul George stated that it would take a surprise run to the finals, I mean, conference finals to get him to stay. Um, That's what I think it would take, you know, conference finals or Paul George probably uh, walks, and then the franchise, you know, will really have to uh, face some times that are going to be trying for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the franchise, I mean, especially with Russ not, sign, not signing the extension. By the way, do you think that he will sign that extension?
2: I don't think he will. I don't mm. think he will this season. Interesting. Interesting. So. Yeah, that yeah. that
1: is going to be interesting.
2: Now, I think he's waiting for Paul George to see what Paul George does and to see how this season goes, mm. uh, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that, too. There's no reason for him to sign it now for him, but I'm sure for Th- the Thunder, it's like a huge anxiety point right now that he wouldn't sign it. But, you know, he's got his Jordan Brand money, and, like, what's he can just sign this contract again next summer. But, man, that would be – that is something right there. So conference finals is pretty much what we're looking at to keep Paul George. Um, Eddie, do you think they get there?
0: Um, I think Oklahoma City gets to the conference finals if they get to see San Antonio in round two. And that means that some combination of – uh, it's all dependent on where Houston I, I think if they see Houston in round two I think it's done um, on paper and just watching how they played last year I'm afraid of what that looks like in a series again I just think Houston is more dynamic um, offensively than anything Oklahoma City can do and I, and I say that with Knowing that Paul George would be there, but I could be wrong. So this is why we make foolish predictions at the beginning of the season. Um, and of course, if Oklahoma City gets a four seed, then I think that's a second round knockout as well. So if they can find a way to face San Antonio around two, I like Oklahoma City's chances in that scenario. Um, then we get the face-off between Paul George and Rudy Gay, and that'll be f- fantastic. I'm joking, um, but you know that's kind of that's that's just kind of where it is. So you know, second round knockout conference finals I'll take either one of those I think they get to 50-50 51 wins um and then yeah to Joshua's point like I, again I feel like there's as, just as much of a referendum on what is to happen with the Lakers and the Clippers a little bit but like we don't have any idea if the Clippers I mean the Lakers are going to be any good next year I don't care how you know, they got Lonzo. I saw USA Today. Now they're going to have Lonzo Wire. they have an entire website dedicated to just Lonzo Ball, um, This is which is crazy. Um, they're just doing you know,
1: what <laughs> – they're just making it obvious what other websites are doing anyway. They just like are actually calling yeah. it something.
2: Like yeah. let's be real. We're so, all
1: going to write a lot about Lonzo Ball. <laughs> they're just exactly. cre- creating a quote-unquote website around it. But that's media. <laughs> that's a media right. analysis for you and you didn't come here for that, uh, dear listener. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I apologize, listeners. I won't do that again. Um, (laughs) No, it's my fault. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like, I I think it's just as important to see what the Lakers do um, and don't do compared to what Oklahoma City does. And at the end of the day, Paul George has to have an honest conversation with himself and say, can this get better? Because the flip side of the flip side is, oh, yeah, Paul George or Russ to leave. Flip side of the flip side is. What if they get to the Western Conference Finals, they face the Warriors, they do really well. Now Russ and Paul George could potentially come back. One of the things you just said, which is important, and this is something that LeBron and and KG and Kevin Durant have done. If there's a conversation about taking a little less and then you figure out how to manipulate that roster, which is going to be tough because, like I said, they're they're already over the tax. But if you figure out a way to manipulate the roster and then you can get a little better— now you get to have another type of conversation. And that's like the, the conversation of another conversation. It's like, could you make this team better if both those guys come back and if they decide to maybe take a little bit less?
1: Yeah, man. Ugh. I, I really don't know how to predict this team because on paper, it should work really well. I really like the roster. I actually like the roster better than, than Houston's. Like, I think it fits better together. It's just that. The personalities – like if you want to compare to Houston, like Chris Paul and James Harden have a lot more invested on working than Paul – in that market than Paul George and Russell Westbrook do. And so like you know that if the – when the going is going to get tough for both of them, like I just trust that Houston will be able to figure it out more. But I like the Oklahoma City roster better. Like Mm -hmm. I just think it's a – I think it's a more dynamic roster. Um, You know, I don't really – love like Brian Anderson. I don't think they really have uh I don't like the Paul Harden dynamic. I think it's gonna be a bit of a challenge to work that out. But it just comes down to like are those guys really invested and are they gonna, you know, make to make the effort to make this situation work. Um and I just
2: if I could oh no good I wanted to chime I wanted to chime in concerning Houston and how I feel about the roster. I feel that Houston gutted its depth to acquire Chris Paul, Um, giving up guys, you know, like Lou Williams and especially Patrick Beverly. And, uh, you know, they just really gave up a lot for Chris Paul. And I think that Houston may decline a little bit this season due to that.
1: They might. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing. Like, if you just looked at it on – who the the pieces are. I, I just – now Oklahoma City has got a long way to climb to get to that level because they, I think, outperformed their expected win total quite a bit last year because of Russ and the Clutch. But like yes. the they're – on paper, what they have fits more interestingly together. It's just that, again, like those two stars like have much more invested in actually working in Houston than they do in Oklahoma City. I just don't know – like, personality-wise, if it's going to work. I really want it to work. I think that if they are really committed, that that Oklahoma City could be a really special team this year. I'm just – I don't have a real good handle on whether that's going to happen. So I, they're the most impossible team in the league to predict for me, honestly. Like, And, I, and,
0: and let me just say this, too. I didn't mean to cut you off. Let me say this, too. And and, and you tell – and I'm asking this to you, Mike, and Ben. Let's be clear. Like, we're talking about potentially second-round knockout or maybe, like, okay, conference finals. But if you put this Oklahoma City team in the in the East right now, like I think that there's a strong you could say, oh, they could put they would win the East. Like this team might they be could. better than Boston. They might be better than Cleveland, and like that's how great the top of the NBA is right now. Oklahoma City has a fantastic roster. They have a fantastic roster. Five years ago, this same team might be the best team in the NBA. And like the dynamic of the league has changed so much that wow, like this is. This is a, a real possibility that, like, second-round knockout could happen for in a really, really good team.
1: Yeah, I mean, but see, that's the thing that it comes back to, is that they have the talent to be that good. It's just, is the, are the personalities going to mesh? And, like, I just, I really want it, want it to because I think if they do, like, that's, to me, on paper, I know this is, like, an unfair opinion. Like, that's the second-best team in the West to me on paper. I think they have a better roster than Houston does. I, I really do. But, and I think you're right. I think they would have a better roster than Boston at this point or even maybe Cleveland, uh, certainly on the same level. It's just a, like if the, there's not a ton of incentive for all the kinks to get worked out uh, in that situation, and it's so much on the line. And there's – I mean, you guys have said it. Like, we'll see if Billy Donovan can manage all that. You know, they've thrown a lot at him. So I'm going to say that ultimately they have 52 wins and the – Three seed, and you know what? I'm going to say they make the conference finals. I'm in a good mood today. I'm going to say they do it. I'm going to say they do it. But ask me again tomorrow, and I will say something very different. I just, you know, I, I believe in the basketball talent that they've assembled. I just, I have major questions about the the personalities involved and how they'll mesh, and I could see things. I know everybody's sort of penciling them like as like an like automatic top four seed. Like if the, I could totally – I could see a scenario where it just – they go off to a really rough start. They don't mesh. George wants out. They trade him in the midseason and they're really not even close to where they were – they really should be. Like I could see that happening.
2: Um, That's a distinct possibility.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think this it's one a guarantee. we like,
2: discussed the WTLC.
1: Yeah. I think there's like a – a lot of people are sort of like kind of saying this team is on a certain level. I think there's a high upside and a high downside possibility with them that people aren't talking about either way. Like I think it could go one way or the other. And that's why it's the most fascinating team in the league to me, uh, to talk about because of what you guys have talked about with how much is really on the line for the market, not just the team and the future, but for the market, so much is on the line.
2: Oh, and another, another thing I wanted to point out, and this may be a bit off base, but, um, Minnesota now, Minnesota has really improved their roster, and I think that they're going to be in the top four conversation. Yeah, I think year. so, too. They, they definitely have potential to be in the upper echelon in the West, and uh, I never did put in a official prediction for Oklahoma City season, but I, I'm going to say they go 53-29. and 29. And um, I hope I don't cr- get crucified on the uh, WTLC <laughs> board for this, but I'm going to say that they bow out in the second round of the playoffs.
1: I think that's the most likely scenario, something like that. So,
2: Well, I'm a realist, and uh, um, some people like that. Most don't. Uh, but, you know, I've got to stick my guns here.
1: It's no fun to predict something well, that something that is likely to happen will happen, but it's also likely no, to happen. It not. So, yeah. Um, anyway, this was a really good conversation. The Thunder are an incredibly fascinating team. On behalf of Ben, who has departed, he snuck out. Um, Hard too much of Eddie and wanted to get the fuck out of here. Um, totally no, understandable. <laughs> <laughs> um, he snuck out of here. So, this was a really good podcast. And again, one of the things we really try to do on these all these episodes is to show that there is so much local pressures and so many local factors that go into what makes the season successful or not how a fan base feels or not how much is really on the line in a way that it's i think is we try to capture on these shows and i really think that this podcast you know more so than the x's and o's of what's going on with the thunder really captured like why this is such an important year and not just because of oh you can look at a contract and see where someone is or oh you can see that you know this trade was made. There's just so much that more that's on the line, and so many dynamics that are going on. So, Joshua Broom, uh, tell the people where they can find you um, on Twitter and anywhere else.
2: Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at NBA Broom82 at Twitter.
1: Yep, NBA Broom82.
2: If you want to email me directly, Joshua Broom2014 at yahoo or gmail.com.
1: And check out Welcome to Loud City. And Eddie, they can find you uh, ranting and raving about the Thunder and other sports things at <laughs> what, Ed the Sports Fan? Yeah,
0: every every single uh, uh, user account is at Ed the Sports Fan, E-D-T-H-E Sports, F-A-N. And uh, I do this every time I'm on a podcast with Mike Prada. Uh, guys, Mike Prada is one of the best editors I've ever had in my life. He's helped me become a way better writer. I and um, I, always, I always appreciate the time and energy you guys give me. Um, SB Nation is always a home for me, I feel like. And I'm glad I got a chance to uh, talk shenanigans and tomfoolery about the Thunder. Um, and this was fun.
1: Well, we will definitely have plenty of time to talk about the Thunder this year. So this is not the last time we'll be hearing from both of you, I would think. Um, but until then... We've got. Uh, I'm not sure what team we're doing next. I think are we doing the. We might do the Wizards next. We might do uh, some other team. Uh, you can also listen back again. Every team that finished worse than the Thunder last year, check out our podcast feed and find all those team previews. Last one we did before this was Memphis, which was a very another team in a small market that's got a lot of interesting stuff going on. Um, but until then, until next time, this is the Limited Upside Podcast.